You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Last week, I began um, uh, with a commercial from Capital One using Charles Barkley as the pitch man um, being picked for a middle school basketball team. Um, the way I tied that in the sermon, if you weren't here, I, I could make the tie. I did tie that in. Um, is that we, we, we all want to contribute, right? We, we all want to belong to something bigger than ourselves. And that's kind of part of what makes us fear that old middle school or grade school um, uh, sandlock, sandlot draft process. Um, because any kind of situation we get put in where we may be deemed as not measuring up is, is kind of a frightening experience for us. Um, we're not really afraid of getting picked, right? We're afraid of, of not being picked. And I said that I've got good news for all of you. You have been picked. Jesus picks you. And he knows far more about you than you know about you. And he still picks you. Um, And as uh, comforting, as encouraging, as inspiring and motivating that is, the story of the gospel is still bigger than Jesus picking you. That's where the story begins. It's not where the story ends. The story of the gospel is bigger. And here is something I'm going to live with, and you're going to hear multiple times in the message. So if you don't get it all right now, you're going to get it multiple times. Here it is. God has personally called you out of a dark place into a dawn place for a specific place, for something bigger and better than you could have ever imagined. God has personally called you out of a dark place into a dawn place for a specific place for something bigger and better than you could have ever imagined. So we talked about last week that we're called out of this world, this culture of darkness into a new kingdom. And that new kingdom, this kingdom of light, the the contrast between the culture and our kingdom is becoming more stark or starker every day. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But let me encourage you that the church is more alive, more relevant, and more effective than you might have ever realized. Don't ever bet against anyone who hitches their wagon to Jesus. Don't panic, church. Our current culture isn't new, and we find ourselves exactly where God wants us. I did a quick little search. Um, In 2017, the Pew Research has evangelicals and Pentecostal spirit-filled churches um, as the fastest-growing faith there is in the world. Um, By 20, it's seven seven percent annually is the growth rate. In 2050, there's estimated to be 3 billion Christians worldwide. Um, So Paul addresses kind of what's going on in our culture. He addresses it back in Romans because the the culture that that we're living in is very similar to a first century culture. That's why why I don't get too bent out of shape, too nervous, but when how culture shifts and changes because we're getting more and more like a first century culture where the church exploded in. Okay, so he has this to say in Romans 1.28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind 
so that they would do what ought not to be done. Now that's on the end of a, a pretty significant discourse in Romans 1. And what he's really demonstrating and showing is, hey, the reason why the culture we're living in now is falling off a cliff is because those in charge, if you will, or those that are, are, are the predominant movement force in that culture, they had given up on God. They had walked away from God. They never even addressed God. And so God said, you, you know, well, I tell you all the time, you, you get what you want with God. We want more God, we can have more God. You want less God, you get less God. We get what we want. And unfortunately, maybe for us, many times God gives us what we want so that we will understand and recognize that we're not the best leaders of our life. But God has personally called you out of a dark place into a dawn place for a specific place and something bigger and better than you could have ever imagined. So what is that something bigger place? It's called the body of Christ. It's a body of Christ for the mission of Christ. In the body of Christ, we belong. You belong in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we belong. And in the mission of Christ, we all have our purpose. In the body of Christ, you belong. In the mission of Christ, we have our place. In Luke 2.52, we get this phrase. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is all we get of Jesus from being a middle school 12-year-old to his public ministry. That's it. That's all the, transi all the transition we get. And then 99% of all the gospels are dedicated to what Jesus accomplished in that three and a half years. And when I, when I look at it from a strategic kind of perspective, this is kind of what I come up with, that when he spends his three and a half years, this is what he has been doing. Give me that slide. You got it up there. Give me that. All right. So established a leadership base. This is when he calls the disciples. He calls, he has 12 disciples at the time when he ascends into heaven, there's 120. So in three and a half years, he's increased that leadership base tenfold. All right. He establishes a leadership base, but then he communicates a very clear mission. So before he ascends, he tells them, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples. Right. And so this is his clear commission to his leadership base that he establishes. But then there is a supernatural power that's endowed. All right, and this is what we get in Acts 1 and Acts 2. This is the premise of this whole summer series, right? The first half was the Holy Spirit in me. How does the Holy Spirit renew me, empower me, and shape me? And now we're in how, how does the Holy Spirit do that in us as a body, as the church, right? So he, he has a leadership base. He gives a clear mission, but he doesn't give a mission without the ability to accomplish a mission. So he gives the power to accomplish this mission. And then we see a, just a world brimming with opportunities ever since. What Jesus describes this is, is he says that the fields are whitened to harvest, all right? And so if the fields are whitened to harvest, my phrase has always been, then there's nothing wrong with the harvest, all right? We keep condemning the world for being the world, right? We condemn the culture for being the culture of this world, okay? But why, I mean, why continue to keep doing that? I mean, it's okay to recognize there's a stark difference, but it doesn't do anything into the harvest field if we just keep complaining about the harvest field, right? So there's brimming, the world is brimming. Every dark place longs for a match, <laughs> a candle, a flashlight, something. Every dark place in our life longs for a match, a candle, a light or something, okay? And so that's kind of the life that uh, I think the bigger life than we've ever dreamed or imagined is being engaged in that. So the church is the body of Christ called 
commissioned and empowered to lead. The church is the body of Christ called, commissioned, and empowered to lead, nurture, and equip the people of Christ for the work of Christ in our current context. This is where we are. So a prominent biblical designation for the church is the body of Christ. And what I want you to really try to lock in today is body is not a metaphor for the church. All right, for all of our English teachers and grammaticians and all the like, here's the definition of a metaphor. I once in a service um, looked down on my notes and I was trying to describe what a hyperbole was. I don't know if anybody remembers this was years ago. And I said hyperbole. And I had, a whole, I had a whole bunch of just college students actually call me out on that. So everybody else seemed to be afraid. So here's a metaphor. A figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. All right? So metaphor and a simile are similar. But I, what I don't want you to see is the body of Christ, when that's used in Scripture, how we'll use today, is not a metaphor. It's not just something to help us understand maybe how the thing functions. It is a literal term that we have the blood DNA of Christ and we are his body. Uh, so the body of Christ isn't a metaphor for the church. It's the reality of the church. So the church is more than an organization of like-minded individuals, right? So any successful company would boast they would have a great product or service plus great people or great plan and that would equal success. And why there might be some applicable points to that in terms of talking about a great successful company and potentially a great church, the difference is, the differentiating factor is, is the church isn't self-powered. It's not self-powered. It is not self-sourced. All right? It is God-initiated. God initiated the church. The church was his idea. It wasn't anybody else's idea. It was his idea. Okay? Christ-sourced. So because of Christ, the blood of Christ on the cross, we become a body. So it's Christ-sourced. God initiated, Christ-sourced, and then it is Holy Spirit-empowered. And the Holy Spirit empowers the church and, and, and weaves us together where we would be from all different walks of life and all different kind of experiences. And he's able, it's only the Holy Spirit that is able to, to mix us and put us to, together for his purpose. We are, the church is inherently designed and, and the DNA to outperform the world and exceed all limits of success. Here's Coca-Cola's mission statement. Now, I grew up Duke and Coke and I was from New Jersey, not Atlanta. But then I lived in Atlanta and thought I had died and go, went to soft drink heaven. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand being from New Jersey and then going to school in Tennessee when they asked me what kind of Coke did I want. And I went, you just told me. Right, I, um, we we called it soda in New Jersey. I don't any other soda people or pop people in here. See, see. Hey, listen. If we live in the state long enough, we're gonna help it. Okay, that's All right. So here's Coca-Cola's mission statement, though. This is their stated purpose: to refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit. To inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brands and actions, and to create value and make a difference. The Coca-Cola company purpose remains clear to refresh the world and make a difference. This purpose is uniquely us. It's why we exist and it's needed now more than ever. That's a lot to put on a carbonated <laughs> beverage, right? That's a lot. I mean, you know, I could have just take, put gateway there, right? I mean, but do you see that... The, the, 
they don't have a purpose statement like this. At one time, years and years ago, I tried to find it, but decades and decades ago, one of their missions also was for, for a Coke to be, in, uh, everyone in the world to have access to a Coke. That was one of the things. And I thought, that's pretty ambitious too. But I've been in some very unique remote places in the world. I mean, where I've gotten off prop planes and gone into Jeeps to get to where I was going, and I have yet to find one place where I couldn't get a Coke. Not found, one place. And some of the Cokes are, are, um, are better than our Coke. But if a company, a carbonated beverage company, can have and drive a, a, really a global company towards that goal, how much more successful should the church be when a culture is this thirsty, pun intended, for this kind of renewal? The challenge, uh, it's a challenging purpose to live up to, up to, but the church already has lived up to it. Let me tell you why. The Roman Empire lasted a thousand years. The church gets birthed under the Roman Empire. But when the Roman Empire fell after a thousand years, the church kept walking. See you, Rome. Next, right? And how many other world systems, governmental systems, has come and gone, empires come and gone, and the church said, see ya, next, right? So the church has been successful, and this is the unique thing now, though. We don't get to look back and say, way to go, guys. Way to go, girls. High five. Because the torch, the baton, has been passed to the church in our century. It's been passed to the church in our decade. It's passed to the church in our country and all the other countries. Christianity is the number one religion in terms of members in Africa right now. There are people just like you all over the world just flat out getting it done. Embracing where they fit, embracing the mission of Christ, and living that mission out. And I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting because Christianity doesn't have the birth rates of some of the other faith systems in the world. So the growth of Christianity isn't coming from because we're just having more children. It's, it's conversion. And, well, what a, that's a dirty word in our culture. Conversion, right? Because to use that word in our culture means that I'm better than you, and this is a better way than you, and I've learned it, and you don't, so let me tell you, let me convert you. And they're turning that word into a nasty word. Boy, conversion's a really, really good word. I've been converted. I was going in a completely different direction before Christ. So for me, it's been a good word. So there's three prominent churches Paul writes to when he's trying to then get the church, get the people, get individuals to recognize and understand how they fit together in his body. He does this in Romans, he does this in 1 Corinthians, and he does this in Ephesians. And we're going to walk through the body part of this this Sunday. We're going to walk through the gift and placement part next Sunday. All right, so here's proof for the body. Here's Romans 12, 4 and 5. Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. All right, I'm going to do an all skate here. This is, um, bring up the lights. I know this doesn't happen on Sunday morning, right? American church is one person talks and, and everybody else has to sit there and listen. All right. Um, 
So in Christ, we though many form one body, each member belongs to other bodies. Someone pick out just one thing out of that that's distinguishing to, distinguishing to you. This is the bad part of sitting on the aisle at Gateway Church. <laughs> Dustin, what's one, one thing in there? Just one thing in there that just, you go, okay, I recognize that piece. Though many. Though many. So in Christ, we though many. What strikes you about that? Um, the community aspect. This is not, uh, this is not just about me and just about my journey, and just about what I bring to the table. But lend faith, borrow faith. Yeah, awesome. All right, anybody else out of that one passage? Becky, out of that one passage? Belongs. Belongs. Isn't that a cool word? Each member belongs to the church. What does it say, though? Each member belongs to what? To all the others. This is a distinct, like we could have a great company. We can be Coca-Cola and we can belong to Coke and wear all the Coke product and drink all the Coke product. But that's not what that says, right? It says we don't belong to a, a company. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. All right, throw out the next passage. All right, this is the first Corinthians passage. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. All right, so this is layered, right? Repeat some of the things, but is there something in there that's not repeated, something that's new? Anybody? There isn't, like, I don't have answers that I'm checking off to see if you're correct, Okay. Come on, Michael. You're up, buddy. I knew you were going to do that. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. All right, Mike, Mike and Renfo, them real quick again. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so does with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but many. Any particular thing out of there, Strachey? Just the one body, we're all, we're all the same, we're all in this together. And, and so, so do you see how it says whether Jew or, Jew or Gentile? I mean, so Paul's writing to a church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles. And so basically saying, we're all, we're all in the, so, so you don't get excluded because of your nationality, your language, your culture, your upbringing. These, these aren't exclusive. The country wants to make them exclusive, right? Wants to make them, we're exclusive like this. They're all so different, right? And, but we are different. Javi and I didn't grow up the same way, but we're together. Form one. All right, here's the next, next passage, and then I'll stop making you uncomfortable. <laughs> there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us, grace has been given given as Christ apportioned it. I'll save you on this one. Grace has been given. Grace, the word means power. So we've been given the same power, the same ability. So, so when we, when we uh, form this body and then we're trying to figure out how we all kind of work together in this body, it's not something that we work out ourselves that grace has been given to each of us 
a specific power that's been given to each of us in order of how we then fit together in this body. We're not left in a line trying to figure out how I fit or, or better yet, where I fit, if can I possibly fit, because grace has been given to you as an individual for how then you fit in this body. And Christ has apportioned all of that. So then how, does the, how do we take such a diverse group of people and how do they then possibly function together? Well, here's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul begins telling the, Rome, the church at Rome, this is kind of the process that you go through. First is a very personal process. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so joining a church, which is very American, is so much different than being a part of the body of Christ. And it's not just something we join, but we are, we are a part of this. It, adding to is different than being grafted in. And the body, of, the body of Christ should be something that we get, we get grafted in. And so when we get, he begins by saying, listen, it all starts with you as an individual by offering yourself to Christ as worship. This is where it begins. The recognition that there is a mold that the, that the culture tries to cram us all in. And you know, whenever you try to be cram anything into the mold, stuff gets left outside, right? Right, Plato. There's always Plato left right? Spoken like someone who's raised a daughter and ha couldn't get all the Play-Doh up out of the carpet, right? Because it doesn't all go in that mold. The mold looks nice, but stuff's left out. That's not what Christ does. We don't get shoved into some mold. He's made all of you, <laughs> all of you and all of your experiences fit together. So he says, stop then trying to fit some form. I always love when this new haircut comes out or new style of clothing or, or new this and people want to do it because it makes them feel like they're a, an individual until you walk in a room and everybody else has the same haircut wearing the same dress, right? And so we, we want to be this individual and then we all basically are just getting conformed to what someone says this is the cool haircut right then, right? The body of Christ isn't a conforming unit. It's a forming unit, in 1 Corinthians, he tells the church in Corinth, so he expands in all of these. I said, why couldn't he just told one church everything and would have saved so much time? But he doesn't. He deals with each church in its, in its position and speaks to it. Here's the 1 Corinthians passage. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Now, if the foot should say, I wonder if, I wonder if, they, if they laughed at his... Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just wondering how they interacted with him. Now, if the foot should say, hi there. You know, I don't know what he did, but because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. If it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. It's very interesting how he starts here. He starts with the insecurities that we each of us carry. That we see somebody else always brighter, smarter, better looking. You know, you know, we always see that. We don't see who we are and we don't accept who we are. We could be the best foot going, but dadgummit, that hand, you know, it kind of just wears jewelry. 
Well, I guess you're, some, of, some of you, I see toe rings, really? So, <laughs> you like my ring, right? You know, um, so it starts with our own insecurities. And that's where most of us start when we don't believe, like I say, everybody, everybody grows up a middle schooler. Like we walk in the room, we think everybody's looking at us, right? How do we fit? In essence, when you walk in a group of middle schoolers, every single one of them is going, everybody's looking at me. But they're not. Everybody's thinking about themselves. All right, here goes the next part. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So that means he wants you to be. And he shaped you to be. And he really, really, really likes what he's shaping you to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So he's saying, look, God knows what he's doing here. He's got a plan with this. Then his next part, he said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while other presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its, that, its, that its parts should be of equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So you see how he starts? He starts by saying, you have your own insecurities about where you fit, if you fit, how you fit, will anybody pick me? And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Because the next thing he says, because I've, I've, I've created you to be someone to, to fit together with other people. So that's kind of how he starts. And then he ends with, but here's what else also happens. What also happens is he's going, man, I am such a better hand than they are foot. You know, my eye is great. David, your ear, not so much. Right? All that's, all that's insecurity. When pride shows itself, it's insecurity. Right? When I want to hang on the wall and not engage, that's insecurity. It's all insecurity. It just comes out in different ways with different people's personalities. And so what he's doing is, I know this happens. I know this is a challenge. That's why I'm addressing it. It's that important. The body functioning together is that important that I want to address how it's working and not working in your context. All right? Um, the body concept is simple to grasp. I'm sure nobody in here is confused of what I'm saying so far today but it takes intentionality and determination to actually embody. We have to overcome our individualistic, insecure patterns. Make sense? So here's the Ephesians passage, all in the same part about functionality. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So that means your part in the body is a calling to receive. That's different, isn't it? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The bond of peace is we have been united to the body through Christ. That's the bond of peace that we share with one another if you're a follower of Christ. We share that. This is what unites us together.
okay, then you got to work with different people. So he says, listen, the way we do this is in humility. We do this in gentleness. Do, do, you, do you think gentleness is an issue in our culture right now? So, so if, if the kingdom of God is to operate different from the world culture, then being part of the church, his body, people should witness the humility of how we are around one another and the gentleness of how we deal with one another. He would have no need to say this if there wasn't differences that grate us against one another. Or our own personal stories and our own personal wounds that cause us to either hold back or just suck all the air out of a room when we walk into it. And so he says, be gentle. You have been bound together from, by the same peace person and the same peace process. So learn to understand one another and lean into one another. And this is how this experiment works. It doesn't work outside of this. Because we do this, I, I, I've been in a lot of countries. I, I know what happens in other countries. I just haven't seen it in the countries I've been in. We create a different model of church here in the, in the United States. And then we try to import it all over the world and it doesn't work. I mean, this, I mean and it's not like that we, we don't do it here in Gateway some, right? I mean, I'm standing up here. You're sitting down there. And if my motivation is just to keep you sitting out there and me up here, do you understand that is a dysfunctional, that's a dysfunctional system? Because the, the goal, Christ uh, initiates the church for the mission, not for a group of people to gather another group of people. Now we have to gather in order to bond. I can't bond with David. I can't learn David at a distance. I got to learn David working together. I got to learn David when, I'm, when we're eating together, right? So, so we have to gather together, but this is the start of a purpose, not the end of a purpose. Our worship together is so encouraging. That's the start, not the end. Lending you faith, borrowing faith in the altar, that's a start. That's not an end. It's all for our formation, and that's what Paul is getting to. So just to recap some bullets out of there, we're to offer ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, Switch from conformity to transformity. All that is about us. Be sober-minded about ourselves. Right? It's not to be self-deprecating about yourself. It's not to think less of yourself. But to see, be sober-minded is just, just to have a good understanding of who I am. Self-awareness. Listen, boy, is it lacking everywhere. You, 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 well, I'll just go. I, I got, I'm running out of time. <laughs> Be connected with one another. Be concerned for one another. Live in unity with one another through humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And that is what sets us up for the greater things that happen as a part of the church. Um, uh, I, I'm going I'm to skip the commercial. I'm going to just tell you about this. I don't want to lose the mood in the room. But in 1983, I, uh, Ch McDonald's came out with Chicken McNuggets. I was a freshman in college. It was an amazing thing. I mean, you know, I mean, it was like throwing, McDonald's doing chicken McNuggets was like throwing a, a rock into a lake, a meteor into a lake. Now, that's a metaphor. It caused a ripple through all, all the fast food chains, right? 
Thank you. Um, Wendy's was the first to, Wendy's was the first to try to address it. And the way they addressed it was they attacked it. There was a commercial called Parts or Parts. And I, I have it loaded. And if we have time at the end, I'll show you because it's just funny. But it just, you know, the, the, the parts are parts. And they just say, well, you know, well, what about those McNuggets? Well, there's parts of parts. And the parts were put together into a sheet. And then were cut up in other parts. You know, and they said, but we're real chicken. Right? And so that's how they were coming to bring chicken into the burger world of fast food. Can I assure you, you are not just a part. So we're going to talk about body parts, right? We're going to talk about gifts and all that. But it's not just a part. It's not a random part. It's not just chopped up part. It's not a bunch of leftover parts that got put together as parts to form a whole. That's not what he's going for in the body of Christ. God has personally called you out of a dark place into a dawn place for a specific place and something bigger and better you can ever have imagined. All right, so here he lists, in the Ephesians, he lists five gifts. In 1 Corinthians, he lists nine gifts. And in Romans, he lists seven gifts. I'm not going to go into these gifts except to put them in categories for you today. Then we're going to pray. Next Sunday, I'm going to break these, some of these gifts out and actually have a book to give. Um, I have six copies of a book called Forgotten God by San, um, uh, Fran Francis Chan. I only got 12 copies. I got 12 copies out there. If, if, if the Holy Spirit thing is new to you in terms of talking about the Holy Spirit, I only have 12, but you can keep the 11 o'clock service from getting any if you want one. They're, they're back. They're back. Next Sunday, though, I bought, I've bought many more copies of a friend's book, Darren Tyler, who pastors Conduit Church. He's written The Power of the Seven, and it's really an amazing book to me. And uh, I bought 50 copies from him to give to you uh, next week. I might buy more. Who knows? But here, the Ephesians 4 gifts, this is what would be called, you can call these the appointed gifts. Okay? So they're given by Christ to specific people for a specific purpose, and not everyone has not everyone has these five gifts, all right? So here are the appointments of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. But he does this for a purpose, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the purpose of these five gifts. Then they will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness, craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You know that's happening, right? Every new philosophy and they're not even new. They're just repackaged. The philosophy of this world is always going to be about me first. All get repackaged in all kinds of different kind of flowery language, but it's all about, it's all about me. 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we do really good on speaking the truth. Not always good at love. We can love and don't speak the truth. And neither one of them obtains the, what God's going for. Truth and love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right. Those are what could be called the appointed gifts. These are called or could be called the anointed gifts or I, I, I call them kind of like operational endowments. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, 
there's nine. And these gifts, specifically the word says, belong to the Holy Spirit. He distributes them as needed. And the way that I understand these gifts, I know that different people understand them different way, is that all of us have the ability to operate in any and all of these nine at any given time. It's where we are in process and we can access Holy Spirit that can give us a, one of these particular nine gifts in order for us to operate in that theater, that arena, that situation that we find ourselves in the moment, right? So they're not given out like you get this one and you get this one, you don't get this one, you don't get this one. All of them become available to operate in. So here he goes. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Once again, gifts aren't given for us. They're given for all of us. To one, there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now, I'll break those down and tell you more what they are next week. But what I want you to see is that this then is operational. How do we work inside the body? God gives us these gifts at particular times for us to operate together as a body. And here's the gifts listed in Romans 12. Here, these gifts are assigned by God, and each one of us gets one of these assignments. Everybody with me the difference? We got appointed gifts. There's only going to be a certain particular people, not that they're better, because he says that, right? It's all one spirit, one body given, but it's just there, there are particular callings. Here's five. Here's nine gifts that we all access all that God will give us in a given time. And now these seven is how we would operate on a regular basis. All right, here they are, pinpointed gifts. Romans 12, four and eight. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, notice he's saying you have these, so I'm not going to tell you who has it. I'm going to say that if you have this, this is how you should do it, okay? If you prophesy, prophesy in accordance to with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, show mercy. Seven gifts. Each of you sitting here has one of those seven gifts. You've been picked. He's picked you. 
So some believers have one of the five. All believers can operate in the nine. Each believer has one of those seven. Come on up, team. God has personally called you out of a dark place into a dawn place for a specific place and something bigger and better than you could ever imagine. So, it's hard preaching a two-part message because you've got to know when to stop. So let me just tell you a little bit about me in conclusion. I am a unique duck. In some circles, I could be labeled a contrarian, but I'm really not. Because an, a, a contrarian opposes thought for the sake of opposing thought. I would say a contrarian is interested in being right. Well, um, I do like to challenge popular thought in a room. Like if you don't want me, you might not want me to be on any board of directors if you are not interested in hearing a different challenging approach or opinion. I may even believe that you've nailed it. But I am going to sit in there and I'm going to try to bring up scenarios or particular things to see if you've thought your way all the way through this. I'm an eight, by the way, on the Enneagram scale, okay? I am a challenger. Um, there have been groups that want me to be a part of the process. There's groups that ask me not to be a part of the process after and over. Um, but that's my personality. But when I'm not operating healthy in that personality or in a healthy environment in that personality, I am a distraction to what's going on. And the older and more mature I've gotten in my personality, I've learned better how to carry it in the moment to where it adds and it doesn't take away. I, I am a different person now than I was when I began understanding my personality and when I began understanding the gifts of God. So when I go through this list, I believe that God has called me to be a pastor. But that calling was at 17 and I wasn't ready to pastor anybody. In fact, when I finished college, I looked at myself and said, he's still not ready to pastor anybody. And so I, what do I do? Well, I went back to school and then I got a master's degree. And those three years, see my first two years in college, I really can't even tell you all of what I did except I can tell you a lot of what I didn't do. Class, I thought, was completely optional. <laughs> so it wasn't until my junior year I realized, oh, here's the secret of college. You gotta go to class is the secret of college. So, so, so it took me then, then those two years of college and three years of seminary and I finished, and I go, now I'm ready to pastor people. But I was still, what, 25? So I did what I could do at 25. It's not a shot at 25. At 25, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I can tell you that out of those nine gifts in Corinthians, when I look through them and I tried to look over the breadth of my life, I feel like that at different times of my life, God has enabled me to operate in eight of those nine gifts. I haven't been able to pinpoint anything that I was involved with that was miraculous outside of healing, but he lists healing. I'm not the healer but I've prayed for people and they've been healed. Specifically because God grabbed me and said, go pray for that person. And then when I look at those seven gifts that everybody gets, and even in my buddy's test that, that he has, it came up leader. 
And I can tell you, I'm not enamored with the idea of being a leader. I'm a really good follower. I really like following good leaders. The issue is, you can't always find a good leader. You wanna look at a good leader? If they have leaders following them, they're a good leader. Leaders don't follow people who aren't good leaders. But I can tell you that it's taking me a long time to get where I am, even still with my own inadequacies and things that I fail at. I'm so much better at 58 than I was 50, than I was at 40. I told you I was the world's oldest church planter. I planted Gateway at 42. It took me 42 years to get to the place where maybe this was possible. Other people can do it a lot younger. I couldn't. So I don't want you to be afraid of a gift or be afraid of a calling. I don't want you to be afraid of operating. See, when you, when you give yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, I want to be used in the body, then he takes you at your word. And I don't want you to be afraid of that. I want you to embrace that. In modern church, we, we talk a lot about volunteering. And, you know, we got to have so many volunteers to do this. And we got to have so many volunteers to do that. And you do, right? Vacation Bible school doesn't happen last week if a bunch of people didn't say, I love kids enough that I want to see them grow in Christ, right? But that's, that's, a, that's the functionality of it. And if you just lean into that, then you're just going to say, well, put me wherever you want me. And listen, I love people like that. I'm, I'm really that kind of person too but I would much rather you fit where you fit. Using what God's called you, gifted you to do, put in your DNA, and you may be just dabbling your feet in it. This is the, this is the beauty when we walk with one another in humility. That you, that you don't have to be great at it. Don't be insecure about trying it and work with other people as you get shaped in it. Going to a church is so much different than belonging to a body. It's a, it's a whole different perspective. And listen, I'll start with whoever wants to start wherever they want to start. Because most people don't know when, they're, when you're trying to walk this out, you don't know what's going on. And you just know maybe when you come into a church for the first time, if you haven't had an experience with Christ, you just know you're hurting and, or you're lost. And you just, you want to see all the stuff you might've heard about growing up or whatever. Is it true? Or um, maybe you've heard, you've seen a friend and, and they, they speak, you know, about their relationship with Christ and you want to try it out. I want us to be the kind of place that when, when people in that life situation walk in, they get overwhelmed with what they've come into. Because as I see the church operate in the first century, that's what was happening. There wasn't someone standing up giving great oratory. There wasn't a band behind them. There wasn't 16, a smorgasbord of things that they could check out to see what might fit their time schedule or their particular personality bent. Now, I want to do those. But what I want is when someone has that kind of, when they, they come in, they, they have an encounter with someone who is believing they're a part of the body of Christ and they've given themselves to operate as that body. And that's a we. That's who God called us to be here at 1288 Lewisburg Pike. Everybody has a place to fit. And so just before we close in, in worship, I really want to just ask you to belong. I, I, I want you to hear an invitation that you belong. 
And just because you don't know or you're new to Gateway or whatever, you, you belong. Listen, may, maybe you don't belong at Gateway. May, maybe this is not your body. Um, Dale, Pastor Dale Everest at New Song Church is a close friend of mine. Uh, Mark Rampula at Southview Church is a good friend of mine. Darren Conduit at Conduit Church is a good friend of mine. There, there's probably a lot of great churches in town. I can just tell you those are three that I know they're pastors and I trust them with my, I trust them with my life. And so I, I get that we're one part of a big body. And so I, just by showing, I'm mean, just telling you that those are my friends that have other bodies that I believe in. I might not fit in their body. I don't know. But I don't want you just to come to a church. I want you at some point in that process to really feel like you belong, not to a place, but to a body. And this particular one little speck of the global body of Christ called Gateway Church. Doing our very best to try to farm out what is that one thing, God, that you have us to do that maybe we're supposed to be the best at. For me, my goal has always been to develop the most spiritually influential people on the planet that you would be the most spiritually influential person in your sphere of influence. Doing that by having a fresh relationship with Christ shaped with a body of believers with your eyes up realizing that that is what you're called to be as a spiritually influential person. That's why Gateway exists. That's why I came here to plant Gateway. That's what this body is to be and it takes all of us to do it. And if that resonates with you, then this is your body and I invite you to belong there is no program. There is no, I don't have a QR code for you to sign up for some. This is, I just want you to settle into that today. The song in our closing response song um, deals a lot with surrender. And if, you, if you're wrestling through that about belonging and finding your gift, I just, I, just, I just invite you to worship in that, to listen to that and offer God yourself. As always, we have communion on the left and right where you can come and receive communion. It's a, it's a, a self-contained pack. You peel it, peel it off. The, the wafer's in one level. Then you peel the next level, and there's the juice that you can receive communion, maybe with your family or the like. And the altars are always available. Uh, why, why is the altar important, Pastor? That is you telling someone else, you know, you'd like to borrow some faith from them on that time. Can you pray in your seat? Of course you can. Sometimes it takes some movement in your own life to connect with God. That's why you come to an altar. But it's also a representation of if you come to the altar, someone's going to come pray with you. They might not speak to you. They might not ask you anything. You might want to ask them something. I don't know. But someone will pray for you. And that's the invitation. If you, if you need to connect with God or someone else, come to the altar. You want to connect with Christ, you receive communion. But I'm asking all of you to soak in this idea that you belong to the body and the invitation to belong to this body. You stand for prayer. And then as they begin to sing, I invite you to move. Father, we thank you for the time that we gather here today. Lord, I thank you for the members of this body. You have entrusted each of us to one another. Lord, we want to be good stewards of what you've entrusted and we do want to be and flow in the calling that you've given us. Lord, I pray for the person in the room today, maybe watching online, that just don't think they have anything to offer, that they would really begin to trust and lean into that you have something for them. Do what only you can do in this moment, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.